0: what your word has to say about our own hearts, our own human hearts, I pray and we pray that those same hearts would be touched by your spirit. There is dullness there. There is always dullness there. I pray that we might be instructed by what it says in your word. Help us to take these things in and apply them by your spirit. If there is anyone here who knows not what it means to have the spirit of Christ dwelling in his or her own heart, may your spirit do his own work in bringing about the salvation of that heart and that soul and that person. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's coming back with batteries. I'll try to get my voice up there a little bit. It seems that it requires no explanation when people talk about, thank you, when people talk about the heart not as a medical organ. Hundreds of times the word heart appears in the Bible, but rarely is it referring to that beating thing in a person's chest. Isn't that interesting? This morning I'm going to think about... Substances of the human heart that uh, are described in scripture. And I'm going to talk about four strivings for lack of a better word, four tendencies that the human heart has. This week, I received an email from a man who did his PhD on pulsatile flow with PhD manuscript of his student attached for my review. I guarantee you, I will be lost by page 11. The, the um, colleague of mine was brought up in a Christian home, and his mother passed away two weeks ago. And once we were talking about what pulsatile flow means coming out of the heart, and I said, you know, it's, it's as though it's been designed. He said, of course it's been designed brought up in a Christian home, not following the Lord. I think it's time we had a talk. When your heart pushes the blood out, the superior vena cava, I suppose, receives that, and it expands, and as it expands, it, it helps that pulse of blood go down into your system. One of the reasons your heart has to work so hard when you have atherosclerosis is that there is no assistance from the pulsatile nature of the receiving vascular system. Amazing. Exactly the right elasticity diameter for blood, which is a non-Newtonian fluid, to help it go. Pulsatile flow. The human heart. But we're not talking about the medical thing. I've already said that. As amazing as it is, as amazing as it is, I have 15 slides, you've already seen one of them, and the last one has one word on it, so we have 13 slides this morning, and I have 25 minutes or so. I'll do my best. Four substances, so to speak, in there, heart, conscience, and four tendencies, strivings, that are associated with this. I've become quite taken with the writings of a man named Oswald Chambers, a British man, he served as a military chaplain, he had quite a varied life, he died as a relatively young man on the operating table. And when I first came across this book, in the many books that I received from Steve LeBlanc's library, I, I, I saw that, oh, I've heard of him. What an interesting title, Biblical Psychology. When was this written? Come, is that a mistake? Is that a mistake? This is a very modern-looking book on a very modern kind of topic, and this is written just before the First World War, yes. This man was a writer really before his time, I have to say. And um, my two main readings this summer were the book of Jeremiah and some of the writings of Oswald Chambers. He wrote that the heart is the recorder of the conscience. The heart is the recorder of the conscience. How interesting. What, what references can we make to the Bible? Well, I need to get through four substances down there in this heart-conscience system that we have. It is as though one speaks to the other. I want to begin with a lament by a prophet, a prophet named Ezekiel, who prophesied from the, about 597, the first deportation and the control of the Babylonians down past into the actual deportation and writing from the perspective of people in Babylon, an exiled people. He is considered to be what's called a post-exilic prophet and was a contemporary of Daniel. There are more instances of these two words in the book of Ezekiel than any other. Wicked heart, wicked heart. A lament. It's a lament, but it's also a prophecy. How does it go? And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those hearts who go after those detestable things, And abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord. The first substance, as I've put in boldface, is flesh. You're born with it. You're born with a natural sensitivity to the prickings of the conscience. The conscience speaks to your heart, and you are capable of detecting when you have done something wrong. That's how you start. You start with a heart of flesh. What can happen, however? What can happen? There are various words to the various passages in the New Testament, particularly in Matthew and Mark, associated with this change, this change of heart. I think, to a degree, it has happened to all of us. The Lord Jesus quoted Isaiah. For the heart of this people has become dull. Sometimes translated calloused. Compare Mark. With their ears they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And return and I would heal them. They need spiritual healing. Their heart has become dull, started out with a heart of flesh, but it has gone downhill. Not good. But I think that we all know about it. Here's a warning from the Apostle Paul, and the Greek word through the Latin word to the English word is exactly the meaning of to cauterize. What happens, well, what happened to my brother? My late younger brother was one of those young people, teenage, who was very prone to nosebleeds. And after going to emerge a number of times, the doctor finally said, we have a solution for this. And you know what I'm going to tell you. They cauterized the inside of his nose so that it, it became scar tissue and it wouldn't bleed anymore. Down there in that interaction between conscience and heart, Paul made a warning once. Timothy, he said, there'll be those people. Dangerous, dangerous people. They use lies and they are hypocrites. A hypocrite knows one thing in his head and does something else. His heart no longer acts in the normal way by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. It's as though down there it's been cauterized by the repeated act of the will of going against what you know is right and, in fact, very deliberately doing wrong over and over. That's bad. It's worse than being dull and calloused. You know, you can learn something from a textbook and you can sort of get the hang of it it's in your mind. And then years later you say, how do you do that again? You've got to pick up the textbook again and you've got to kind of reteach yourself about that and it's something that, that goes on in the mind. But down in here, in the inner man, there are changes that can take place that are very serious changes. Very serious changes. This is a bad state, a a state in which nothing much bothers you. That is a bad state to be in, the inability to feel guilty. Underneath, I think there's flesh, but it's covered in scar tissue. Scar tissue really doesn't feel much, does it? But, you know, it can get worse. I go back to where I started. Where do you end up? Just like a stone. It's not a matter of only being unfeeling. In there, there's nothing under there to feel anything. Inability, inability to feel guilty anymore. I believe that it's even possible to grieve over that. Isn't that a paradox? Why don't I feel anything anymore? So deep am I in sin. My heart is so hard. Nothing touches me. Life is tasteless. I do detestable things. And again I do them. And my heart tells me nothing. That recorder is not... Registering. That's a terrible state. Romans 1, 24, 26, 28. It alludes to these things. It uses this phrase. Notice this phrase when you read Romans 1. This is the worst. You think God's chastisement is harsh? Oh, wait. If you are outside of Christ and this happens to you, this is worse. God gave them up, gave them up, gave them up. That is terrible. What hope is there if God has put you in a place where you don't feel a thing anymore? Thrice we read this. Very, very serious. Wail the day that such a thing should ever happen to you or anyone you know. To be given up so that there is no more voice, there is no more feeling. That is a bad place to be. Chambers <clears throat> pointed out some things that I've put some names to, and uh, before I forget, the con- the Collected. The collected works of Oswald Chambers was published early in this century, almost a hundred years after the man wrote, for example, Biblical Psychology. And it is a PDF, and I downloaded it yesterday. I accused Nick of taking the book to New Brunswick, but he emailed me back, and it wasn't him. I misplaced it. Then I found that the entire, over thousand pages of his collected works can be downloaded as a PDF, including Biblical psychology. So what I'm telling you is that it's there for free, and it's over a thousand pages, and it's very rich reading. And um, the way that I have kind of labeled things and organized things is not entirely in keeping with Oswald Chambers. But I was impressed by many of these observations, and I trust that what I'm sharing with you today is from the Word of God and will speak to your heart I'll call it the imprinting principle and example scripture woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish literally speaking but inside they're full of robbery and here's a good one self-indulgence is that very high on your list you blind pharisee first clean the outside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of the inside so that the outside may become clean also There is an inescapable reality between the fact that what you do affects what you are. What you are then provides feedback into what you choose to do. When we feel that we are doing something wrong, and we choose to go in the right direction or the wrong direction, and we do it again, and we do it again, We begin to change. How is that taking place in your own life? I once had a close friend who jumped over a a rod, the thing that high jumpers try to jump over. The pole, it's not a, what would you call it? It's horizontal, so it's not a pole, it's a rod. They jump over it. Bar! Bar. The word is bar. Raise the bar. bar. Hence. And in modern times, it's a modification of what's called the Fosbury flop. Ah, Incredible. How anybody... I'm 1.86 meters high, so there's guys who are about my height who can jump over two meters. I just can't get my head around that at all. But we have a bar and we are not up to it, we are not up to it, what we choose to do over and over affects the outcome of what we are becoming, it is kind of a, see Chambers said recording, It's, it's, it's like imprinting, it's you are changing as you make choices. Do you like that? Do you think that's not happening? I will tell you, you you don't have much choice in the matter. You will change. You will change as you make choices. And as you change, it affects how you choose. And now my thought comes back to me that my friend who was born again at the same time I was as an undergraduate jumped over that bar and broke his neck and became a paraplegic. And became a pastor eventually, but went through some very dark waters. And you know what one of the secular psychiatrists told him to do? If you're angry, swear a lot and as much as you want to. If you're angry, Just go crazy with anger and swearing and everything. In other words, of course, you've heard this said, let it all out. You know what he found out? Surprise, surprise. It made him worse. It didn't help. The psychiatrist's advice was bad advice at $200 an hour. (laughs) Venting, right, right. This is a a most interesting thing that I'd never really um, thought about or have never really uh, had any grasp of at all. Uh, Introspection and inscrutability. Do you know that God has wired you up so that you look inward? Do you tend to look inward? It's partly that you and I are narcissists and we're a little bit too fascinated with ourselves. I'll grant that. But do you know that it is also part of your God-given wiring that you look, look inward? That's most interesting. And it gets more interesting because as we look inward, we find ourselves throwing our hands in the air and going, I am completely exasperated. I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't understand myself. I don't understand. Look, look, look. I'm not, getting, I'm not getting it. And it's me. It's my heart. I'm looking into it, and I don't get it. I believe that this is part of God's wiring to cause you to realize, to throw your hands up in the air, and look to Him. You aren't going to figure it out. You are going to try because God made you into a human being that will try, and he made you with such depth and breadth that you will not succeed. You have a tendency to introspect, and you will find that you are inscrutable. Some verses. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know the human heart, Second Chronicles. What a statement. Psalm 139.23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and I, I am at a loss. Would you please take over the searching and the dealing with anxiety and the other things that fill me that I don't completely understand? I'm going to read to you a quote, in fact, a number of quotes from the book. I hope you'll bear with me. This is a paraphrase of Psalm 139, of which we just uh, heard a a short portion, a couple of paraphrases. As if David is saying this, it is along this line, my God, there are beginnings of mornings and endings of evenings in me that I cannot understand. There are great mountain peaks I cannot scale. Such knowledge is too wonderful me, too, uh, for me. I cannot attain unto it. Explore me. Search me out. Or again, he, David, means: search out the beginnings of my dreams. Get down below where I can go. Winnow out my way until you understand the beginnings of my motives and my dreams, and let me know, and let me know that you know me. And the only way I shall know that you know me is that you will save me from the way of grief, from the way of self-realization, from the way of sorrow and twistedness, and lead me in the way everlasting." Very good statement, I thought. You should read in his works about what he thinks of popular psychology telling you and I that what we need is more self-realization He blows that ship out of the water about six times very thoroughly. Popular wisdom is you need to realize yourself exactly the opposite of the teaching of Scripture. I was going to skip over this one, but I think we can manage Our Lord's dealing with the disciples made them conscious of things in themselves of which they had been hitherto unconscious. For instance, in Matthew 16, we read that Jesus said to Peter, blessed art thou, and shortly after he said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter had not the slightest notion that God Almighty had lifted him up as a trumpet and blown a blast through him which Christ Jesus recognized as the voice of the Father, or that, a little while afterwards, Satan took him up and blew a blast through him, which Jesus recognized as the voice of Satan. Again, if Peter had been told that he would deny the Lord with oaths and curses, and he would have been unable to understand how anyone could think it possible, Peter himself, There are possibilities below the threshold of our lives which no one but God knows. This is our inscrutability, the fact that we are out of our depth. As we look inward, we will find that we are out of our depth. As we keep looking, I hope that we learn to look up. Some more... A couple more scriptures. If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? This obvious, external, obvious. If that's obvious, it's obvious because at an entirely different level, as it says here, he knows the secrets of the heart. That should give you a great pause for thought. You think you know your own heart? You think you even know the secrets of your heart? You may know some of them, but I'm telling you, friend, you don't. You don't know all of them. We are so out of our depth. Look at this. Jeremiah, bewailing the wicked heart. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Hebrew rhetorical question, no one. Then comes the word. From the Lord, in quotes, I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. In Mark 7, Jesus talks in, as he says here, Chambers, in somewhat rugged and harsh terms about the sins the catalog of sins that humans are capable of. It's a nasty list. Look at them and see whether they do not awaken resentment in you unless you have received the Spirit of God. You look at the list and you go, no, 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 not me, no. Uh, that's, That's offensive, I'm not like that. You're wrong. These verses mean that no crime has ever been committed by a human being that every ca- human being is not capable of committing. Is not capable. Everybody is capable of this stuff. It's an ugly catalog. You just haven't you just don't know what's in there. The Lord does. The Lord does. As it says, these are not the shrewd guesses of a scientist. These are the words of the master of the human heart, the creator of the human heart, the one who knows the human heart in all its aspects and depths. Third or fourth principle. This is like resisting gravity. You can't. It just just works. It's a law. It's an inexorable tendency. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that from which his heart is filled, from that which fills his heart. This overflow principle. From from the mouth, for the mouth, speaks out of that which fills or overflows the heart. You think you can contain it you think that we can put on this super respectable skin and that all the stuff that's there will not somehow come out. No, it's coming out. It will come out from time to time and you sometimes it will shock you to the core that oops, 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 it was there and it came out. That's because it's a law. That's because the Lord Jesus who made your heart knows that what's in your heart inevitably comes out. The catalog, evil thoughts, false witness slanders, that's not too far-fetched. Maybe you've never thought of killing anybody. But the catalog is there, and they come out of the heart And there's defilement. And it's four minutes after 12, and I'm going to close with the question of why this is important. The writer of the book of Hebrews was writing to Hebrew Christians, and he is instructing them and encouraging them and telling them to put themselves under the scalpel of the Word of God, to expose their inner man, their inner person, to the Word of God, because that scalpel can cut into areas and into realms that are not accessible without the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare before him with whom we have to do. I love the way that ends. It is also, my friends, an allusion to the fact that everybody has to have dealings with God. What sort of dealings with God do you want to have? Him with whom you have to do, we have to do, there will be dealings. What kind of dealings? This is very serious. If you are redeemed and you belong to the Lord, He is dealing with you now. He is dealing with you today. And it is in your own best interest as a Christian, as a believer, to put your inner person under that scalpel often. Not that it's pleasant necessarily, but it's in your own best interest to do that often. But if you have refused and refused and refused the dealings, the window of opportunity will eventually close because your heart will become so hard It will go from being insensitive, to being calloused, to being something else altogether. That should be a very sobering thought. There is a window of opportunity, and one day, the one who has the ultimate scalpel, because he is the scalpel. You see, the Word of God is not only this book. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word will be the scalpel. He will be the scalpel. If you know Him, you will worship before Him. If you don't know Him, and you have turned away, and you have turned off and turned away from the movings and prickings of the conscience and of the Spirit of God, it will be a judgment day for you. What's needed is what Chambers calls a new disposition. It's it's a beautiful word in that it kind of combines the idea of a new position and a new tendency. I love how this ends. Look at the last two sentences. He spoke as the master of men with an absolute knowledge of what the human heart is like. That is why he so continually pleads with us to hand the keeping of our hearts over to Him. To hand the keeping of our hearts over to Him. You're going to fail. You're going to look. You're going to be at a loss. You're going to be bewildered. And in terms of God's program, you can't do it because it's God's program for your heart. Self realization. Throw that right out. That has to do with the self-management of me by myself so that myself gets bigger and stronger, blah, blah. Throw it out. It's going to be a fail. What you need to do is hand your heart over to Him. That's what you need to do. He is the master of men with absolute knowledge of the human heart, and He continually pleads with us, to hand the keeping of it over to him. I'll close with this verse. If anyone is in Christ, he has a new creature, new inside, new disposition. Old things passed away, behold, all things have become new. And as I shared these thoughts around a campfire a month ago, A young lady named Ray Kang. This, I, the campfire version was the 10-minute version, which I had, had come to me in the 24 hours before the campfire. The young lady named Ray Kang was sitting on the other side of my wife. Said, "I want to be saved." Gaytan was sitting on the other side of the campfire. And witness the three of us praying together. As Ray Kang gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And thanks to Kinza, she's actually her first contact in Toronto. is a missionary couple. Can't get over how helpful they are. She says, I feel like I've come home. I feel like this is my house. These people have taken me in. It's like, like being a daughter. That's where she is right now in Toronto. Taken care of in the Lord and by the Lord. So we can give thanks for that and pray for Ray Kang. I trust this morning that if you've not handed over the keeping of your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will do so. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, that we have been able to meditate this day on some aspects of your work in the inner man, in the inner person, we confess that we are not up to the task of salvation in so many ways and in so many levels, we we must relinquish everything to you. If there was anyone here this morning, who knows not what it means to have that disposition by your Holy Spirit in their hearts, may that person come to you and trust you with everything. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention.